Am I making any sense? Okay, here we go. I, so I think I'm streaming, I'm recording. So, all right, everybody, welcome to today's Am I Making Sense? And of course I go out of focus there. Uh, today's guest uh, is very, very happy to have this guy on the show. He's been a cast member of MTV Wild and Out. He's performed on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And of course, most importantly, you can catch his full hour comedy special, Unemotional Roller Coaster, on YouTube. Please, everyone, make some noise for Jacob Williams. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to that amazing live audience that is here, apparently, and my streaming audience, and you for having me on the podcast. Thank you so yes. much. I, I actually, I hire um, out-of-work service and uh, Uber workers to come in and make, make the applause happen. <laughs> intros but uh so today man i used to stream uh whatever that means like live stream and then uh people were just saying oh it's getting choppy on your facebook and whatnot so i kind of just cut it out and another thing is i'm i have a, a terrible habit of butchering intros whenever i do live stream and also i just feel like i sound stupider on live streams <laughs> so uh i i don't know it's one of those things where when you know you have the power of editing behind you, I think maybe you just feel more confident. But anyway, we're doing it today. So where are you streaming, Jacob? Uh, yes. Uh, so thanks for having me on your podcast. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm also, yeah, I'm currently streaming on Meet Me, uh, an app that I joined recently about a month ago. So I'm seeing uh, people tuning in and comments and gifts. I appreciate that. Nice. Uh, but, uh, but I, yeah, this is, yeah, I can't even keep up with all the different streaming services. So meet me. I haven't heard of this one. How long has it been around? Um, I, that's a good question. And I don't know. Uh, I only found out about it like a month or a little over a month ago, but, um, I think it started as my yearbook. Maybe I think eventually, I think at one point it was like a dating app maybe. And then it evolved into more of like a social, um, like hanging out thing um, i've heard of something called clubhouse a lot of it's got some buzz oh, going around it, but i, I haven't know. signed up yet i actually i get a little bit of the uh social media fatigue so anytime i hear about a new app i go i don't know man i don't know if i can take another uh another app that i need to put content yeah. Yeah, I think uh, TikTok definitely stressed me out, uh, but I put a few comedy clips on there and stuff. And then I've done Clubhouse, I've done some like Wild Not games on here. Um, other things, like I post stuff on like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, but those do actually give me a lot of anxiety a lot of times, like kind of. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas actually, uh, but yeah, honestly, um, Meet Me, I'm not just saying this because I'm streaming on Meet Me right now, but, uh, <laughs> but it feels like a lot more fun. Plug, and, like, I, plug. <laughs> Like, I'm not just saying that because I'm streaming currently on there right now, but, uh, but no, it actually, like, it doesn't, it, it kind of does the opposite where I don't really feel as anxious, but it actually makes me feel really happy. And like, I'm socializing because you're kind of talking to people in real time. Oh, no. So that's what you're doing. You're, when you're doing this, you're gesturing to someone on the streaming then, huh? Uh, yeah. Like Sandy had just sent, uh, some gifts. I appreciate that. Thank you. And people are commenting and stuff. So I've, I've started doing it a couple of times during podcasts and I feel like it, it helped for me. It like makes me feel more comfortable on podcasts because it's kind of like having that live audience that we're used to as we're both comedians, you know, so yeah. it's like kind of like, I feel like that makes me feel more comfortable in a way. 
Yeah, not having the live audience. Even when you have a Zoom audience, it's not the same thing because I always feel with Zoom, I, I mean, I don't just feel this way. I know this is the way. When we're doing Zoom comedy, people are also reading their emails and you know, doing Google searches. So you don't really know if anyone's actually paying attention to what you're saying. I mean, every once in a while you get a chuckle and you hope that, oh, maybe they were listening all along. But it is, we, we live in a little bit of a disconnected world. And I don't think we've, well, actually, let me get your opinion. How have you been doing with this, uh, with the Zoom format? Um, yeah, so Zoom, I've been, I started doing it like right away when everything shut down. And um, so that's been really good uh, because for a while there were no comedy shows. So it was the only option. So um, yeah, it can definitely be tough at times. And um I uh, I feel like it's been an adjustment. Like I've done a lot of Zoom shows now. I've done a lot of like virtual college gigs on Zoom and all kinds of uh, types of shows. Um, sometimes it's weird. Like if everyone's muted and I'm saying jokes with no response, it's kind of like the first two years I did comedy. But, yeah. Uh, or like if uh, I think the worst show I did at the end of my set, I was like, this was weird because you guys were muted. This guy's like, actually, we weren't muted. <laughs> but uh, no, there was one thing that happened that was really weird where someone accidentally unmuted and his friend's like, what are you watching? He's like, oh, it's the corny white guy from Wild Mouth. And I just had to be like, hey, the corny white guy from Wild Mouth can hear you right now. So it was like I was hearing a YouTube comment live or something. But uh, yeah. oh, my God. So it could be weird. I've had so many. It, it is. Yeah, I've done so many such a range of what it's great when everyone's like unmuted and laughing. But there's been some weird shows, too. Yeah, I think I think the net, I guess for me, the net is is it's it's been good because I've just been meeting comics from a lot of different regions that I don't think I would have ever met. And so for that's good. Oh, and then also it's obviously you have to write for it. Right. So, uh, I, I am very thankful for zoom, but at the same token, I'm ready to get back out there. I, I wanted to, I wanted to change gears a little and talk to you about your, your special. I really enjoyed unemotional roller coaster. I, I think it was, um, your your type of joke telling it works really well um what, through tv also there's a lot of comics out there i'll watch on tv and i'll go i've seen them live they're great but then on tv or on your screen it doesn't translate as well but that special translated so well wow thank you so what i what i'm wondering is how did you know um you were ready to release a special um that's a good question i mean i really appreciate that thanks for saying that because uh I've had other people say that they don't think my comedy works live or on TV. So um, <laughs> that's very nice of you to say that. But uh, but anyway, um, no, thank you. I, I think uh, I wanted to do a special. I'd been doing comedy when I taped it. I'd been doing comedy around 12 years. I taped it in 2019. So now I've been doing it like 13 and a half years. But um, but at the time, yeah, I'd been doing comedy a while and I kind of had some downtime where I could like focus more on stand up. It was a little tougher when, um, I don't know, like other times when I was a little busier with other things, like with, yeah. we would do like a ton of wild now seasons in a row or like other projects like that. And so it, I felt like I didn't want to like rush into doing a special, but at the same time, um, once I was able to like set up an extended tour, it wasn't even that much of an extended tour, but I had like a few tour dates where I was like, felt like I could really, you know, tighten up stuff that I've been working on for years. And so I just kind of decided to give it a shot. And um, 
you know, I, I'm really proud of how it turned out. The crowd was really awesome. And I got to do some of my favorite jokes over from over the, you know, the first like 12 years or so of doing stand up. And uh, yeah, it was a good experience. So I'm super happy I did it, especially in retrospect now, knowing that it's like oh, yeah. we can even really uh, tape things the same way anymore with social distancing now. So oh, yeah. I'm very lucky I did it before the pandemic and that it's now out there. And um, I can kind of just kind of start working on new stuff. And um, some of those jokes I'd been doing for a long time, some of it was newer at the time, but some of it I'd been doing for a long time. So I think it was nice to just like, at least feel like I had a home for it. And then yeah. I can kind of start moving on from some of that material and focus on um, trying to find new stuff, I guess. So that you bring up another point that I wanted to ask you about. Your jokes are very concise. They land quickly, right? It's, it's a very, it's a quick paced uh, joke writing and delivery. So what, what I'm wondering is, do you have to edit your jokes down to get to be where they're as quick as they are? Or do your, are your jokes, do they just come to you kind of fully, not finished, but in a, a small kind of capsule that you're able to work with right away? Or is it something where you have a concept and you narrow it down? Um, that's a good question. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place in terms of how I come up with stuff. Sometimes it happens like in conversation if, uh, I say something funny just to enter, you know, response to a friend, like joking around. And then I'm like, Oh, I could actually use that um, on stage, you know? Yeah. But it, sometimes it takes some work to adjust it from there to on stage. And then, you know, like you said, like not everything translates between formats. So like not everything that's funny in conversation is going to work on stage, but sometimes it will, if like you can give the audience enough context. Um, but yeah, I definitely edit them. It definitely, um, takes me a while and um because I have to sometimes tighten them up or and I do it you know the vast majority of stuff I try out the first time it, I feel like it probably won't necessarily work right away so I, I do it is a lot of trial and error and I'll test stuff out you know with like in smaller settings to see what works before I do it on like a bigger show or that kind of thing or um, so yeah, it's just a lot of like writing and rewriting and throwing stuff out or reworking it and um, writing any, if I think of anything I do think is funny, you know, sometimes it's ready some right away. Sometimes it takes work. And then um, it does take me sometimes a while to also even like organize them and fit them together because they are kind yeah. of short and it's like, I don't, it, you know, it can be hard to find the flow for me sometimes of like how to make them transition together since um you know, it's not like a really long bit or story. Like, yeah. Often, so. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you get your, your jokes are like Lego building blocks and you're able to stack them together in something that's much bigger. I, it's interesting that you just mentioned that sometimes in conversation, something you'll be just talking or banter or shooting the shit with people. And then you come up with a joke because I've been noticing that more, especially since we've been kind of shelter in place over the last year, I guess a little bit ever since I started stand-up comedy, but even over this last year, since conversation is kind of uh, it's a precious thing when you actually get FaceTime with someone. And so whenever I'm talking with really mostly just family, cause I, I don't even see friends that much anymore over this last year, but when something comes up and you're riffing on something, which is banter and you come up with something funny, I'm thinking, wait a minute, was that was that conversation funny or could that be stage funny? And then I'll play around with the concept on the Zoom mic and see if I can turn it into anything. 
And I definitely, I think I'm going to be using, doing that a lot more because how much stuff do we do on a daily basis, basis in conversation with others where we just have something and maybe we both laugh or maybe you get another person to laugh and then it's a throwaway and you never think of it again. But now I'm going, oh, wait a minute. This might be something I can use later. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely something I was missing out on um, during quarantine, um, not having as many of those like interactions with friends, which can lead to just, you know, being happier and coming with material and everything. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Cakes and Jelly. For Have you even done any in-person shows since the whole pandemic thing kicked off? Um, yeah, I've been, the first shows I did back were basically like, um, I did some shows with, uh, I, I hung out a lot at, uh, Michael Che had some shows in a parking lot. I got to okay. perform on one of those and that was super fun. Um, and I've done a bunch of other shows. I actually did like, um, my, uh, album and, uh, yeah, for the album version of Mike's special, I did a album release show on the New York comedy club rooftop and actually chris rock dropped in to do a set because he was working on the snl monologue oh it's really fun nice um, and then um so then also um uh, sorry uh, anyway but uh yeah no i've been doing a lot of shows i did some of the drive-in shows uh those were weird because like they couldn't even honk because it was like too noisy for the neighbors oh so was, like saying jokes and they would like flick their lights if they liked the joke and I couldn't hear anyone laughing. And then I did a lot of like park shows and like, sometimes I think the park shows are going well. And then I realized the laughter I heard is just people having fun on a picnic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 uh, I don't know what that is called. Incidental laughter from people just outside freaking out. Um, so what is, what's it like, um, in the writer's room for a show like Wild and Out. How, how does oh, the process look? Sure. Well, they don't really have writers because it's uh, it's basically like an improv show, kind of like Who's Line is anyway. So yeah. they do have like some consultants who I think will help like with the guest stars, like if they okay. need help, like trying to figure out what to do. But for the most part, it's kind of like um, everyone just kind of improvises and riffs off each other and we practice the games a lot. So there'll be like a week of like rehearsal and that kind of thing. And then they'll just tape like two or three episodes a day for like a couple of weeks and just knock out of the season. Okay. So it's kind of like, um, that kind of thing. Although, um, yeah, it's funny. I've done a lot of writing packets. I don't think I've ever officially been in a writer's room, but while now it is like, you're constantly like writing your own stuff. And then also like, you know, even on the spot, um, you know, since it's primarily improvised, it's like, you have to just kind of stay on your toes and sometimes they'll switch up the games last minute Ooh. and you don't Uh-oh. even know like what people are going to say to you. So you have to like have like, come back with stuff in the moment a lot of times, which is like some of my favorite stuff, but, well, um, but yeah, so it's like kind of a fun mix of everything. That, that was my observation. The clips I did see of you, it definitely felt like you're writing. And so I wasn't sure, is he coming up with that off the cuff or do they have a writer's room where they go through and kind of say, this is, this is what I think will work best in that moment. But it sounds like it was a real improv exercise more so than a prepared script. Yeah. Like you can definitely like, there's some games where you can try to plan ahead and be like, oh, that person's on the other team. So if we rap battle, I can think of something. But then a lot of times you don't know what they're going to say. So you have to like some of my favorite stuff is just the, like having a comeback in the moment based on what they said. Cause then 
audience can tell you're like coming up with it in that moment. Got um, it. So that's that's kind of what I kind of like that element of it. And then of course we'll, we'll tape for like two hours per episode. So you know, with improv, a lot of it isn't necessarily going to work every time, but then they just use like the funniest 20 minutes. Um, so. I, so I, what I'm curious about is you've been doing comedy for 13 years. Did you, did you move to New York with the intent of being a stand-up comic or did you move to New York uh, for something and then got in to actually, let's take it all the way to the back. When did you start doing stand-up comedy? Sure. So I started doing stand-up comedy officially, um, like my first couple of weeks of college, basically. Um, and I was a huge fan of comedy growing up, um, but I never knew if I could do it because I was very, you know, I was like extremely shy and self-conscious and anxious. Uh, like, you know, I was nervous about talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, let alone yeah. a whole room of people. But, uh, but I guess, um, you know, I was always interested in that kind of thing. I, growing up, I made like, I talk about this on my special, but I made like short movies of my action figures for fun. And I would also like write short plays or write uh, stories for my friends when I was younger and uh, loved any kind of like trying to entertain people. You know, I would love being in plays. I could, I could barely get cast in anything, but the few roles I had, I had fun with if it was like anything comedic and, um, and then uh, at my high school graduation, they said like, we had a really small school and a small class. So they just said like anyone that wanted to uh, like um, speak at graduation could. So I did speak at my graduation and basically just um, went totally off script from what I gave them and just tried to like write down like anything I thought would be funny. And yeah. so it was kind of like, I was trying to do stand up the first time, but it wasn't framed as stand up. So yeah. I didn't have the pressure of having to be funny, but I think I got like a few chuckles maybe. Nice. But then my first time actually doing standup, uh, when I started college, I had a friend that I saw do an open mic and I was like, and it was kind of blew my mind that like realizing that you don't have to be amazing at it right away. Like, I'm like, Oh, you can just do an open mic and just try it out. And so I, I told people I was going to do it. And then, um, if I hadn't done that, I probably would have backed out cause I was so scared, but then I felt I had to do it cause I told my friends I was going to do it the next one. So I was like, you know, physically sick, like almost throwing up because I was so nervous. But then once okay. I did it, it was it was uh, such a thrill to like, you know, be like on stage and trying to get laughs. So. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then I just kind of got hooked and I was going to college in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin at this, this small town, small okay. college. But I, I quickly was into comedy, but I was also the only comedian there. So it was like. I would just have to wait a couple of weeks till the next open mic and it would be all like musicians and poets and then me doing, you know, terrible comedy probably, but yeah, but there was nothing else to compare it to for the audience either. And they were like in my class and stuff. So I think yeah. I probably got some like, you know, like supportive audiences, like more supportive than my comedy deserved. And so I just kind of stuck with it. And then, um, instead of studying abroad during college, I went to Chicago for like a year of college and like, just to like basically do more comedy there. Okay. And, and then, um, after graduation, I also went back to Chicago. So I was, in, I was basically in the Chicago scene for about four years total. Oh, okay. And that was like the first bigger scene I was in. I also like on college breaks, I'd go to my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky and, um, during college and like do the comedy club there, like nice gigs there. And, um, and then basically, um, yeah, I think like 2014, I just moved to New York because um, 
you know, I just felt like I had kind of done what I could in Chicago and, um, I was doing okay. I mean, I think I started doing comedy full-time in 2012 when I did America's Got Talent and I've been super lucky that I've only had to do like comedy related things as work since then. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, but it was, you know, it was, I had really cheap rent and was living very frugally at the time and that helped a lot too. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, so it was definitely a little, I was nervous about moving to New York cause it's like, you know, a much bigger city and, you know, much more competitive, but. Well, I think, you know, I've, people talk about that 10,000 hour rule. I don't know if you've heard of that, but yeah. they say to become an expert at something, you have to put in 10,000 hours of focused effort. And I don't know, having just looked at the logistics of stand-up comedy in a smaller market, I don't know if it's possible to hit. And obviously the 10,000 hour, that's like, it doesn't apply to everything. Cause with comedy, there's, there's these parallels that you do with writing that counts and podcasting. And, you know, if you're just riffing the friends, technically that's all kind of helping your, your, your muscle, but the real muscle is being on stage, delivering something. And outside of New York and LA, I don't know that there's anyone who could get 10,000 hours. I think, I think it's against the laws of physics to be able to find enough mics in some markets to hit that 10,000 hour rule. So I think, I think New York and LA, that's probably it. But the bonus with New York is at least you have a um, mass transit system, right? You have a train that can get you to and fro. Whereas in LA, you're always in a car uh, driving from spot to spot. So I definitely would think just from a logistics point of view, if you're thinking that 10,000 hours, the only place to really do it would be New York. So was it overwhelming when you first got there? But you already had you already had chops when you went there, right? So then it was just a matter of kind of integrating yourself into the scene, so to speak, I guess. Yeah, I was. Um, I had some TV credits by then, and I. Uh, by the way, I think everyone in my comments is roasting me. Like when you said ten thousand hours, someone said Jacob can't last ten minutes, let alone. 10, oh, he's hired. He's a new comedy last, writer for you. I last shorter than Conceited, who's a. <laughs> rapper guy on uh, wild now anyway um, but uh but yeah you know new york is a tough transition from wherever you got like even if you're like the funniest person in another city or something which i wasn't i wasn't yeah. anywhere close to that in chicago but but uh but yeah however established you are when you move to new york you kind of have to um like uh start from scratch because it's like so intimidating there and it's so hard to like every you know it takes sometimes years or more to get into like a lot of the comedy clubs and yeah rooms are in with whoever's doing shows or whatever's happening so uh yeah it's a long process and uh i also um i don't know um have to like uh I keep getting distracted because people. No, it's it's cool. Posting me in the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so it's not. It's difficult. No matter. It doesn't matter how. I guess what phase you think you're at when you go to New York, and this is what I've heard from from guys too, is that when you go to New York, you're basically at you're back to start whatever that means. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it takes a while to adjust to New York, but I'm I'm still glad I'm here because it's like my favorite city and personally and my favorite place for comedy i know la is amazing for you know they have a great comedy scene they have amazing like mm. acting and writing opportunities but for like just pure stand-up comedy which is my favorite thing it's like um 
I love New York because it's like, since everything is so close together and there's so many comedy clubs nearby. I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan. I just, I visit New York, obviously. I, I've never lived there, but man, it's like the amount of comedy clubs and the amount of guys who go up guys and gals who can just murder and you've never even heard of them before. It's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. And I don't mean that to be insulting or anything. I'm, I, I'm actually meaning that to be complimentary is that there's people you've never heard of who are just amazing stand-up comics. Um, but you know, that's just goes to show that there's so many good stand-up comics in New York. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. There's, and, and I think that's helped me to like, try to raise my, I've done, I think I've, you know, I still have, you know, would like to get a lot better as a comedian, but just being around so many great comics and having to like being able to see like some of my, the biggest comics I would know, um, or I've heard of like work on stuff like drop in and work on sets and, uh, yeah. just being able to see that and then having to follow people like sometimes and having to follow Chris Rocker, whoever it is, oh. it's like, I feel like that's had to me, which it's only happened to me once, but like, you know, all of that stuff just helps you to like try to raise your game hopefully. And yes. so, I'm, I hope I don't suck as much as I would if um, I wasn't here. But, yeah. But it's still a lot of work just to try to keep up with, there's so many good people here. Well, you mentioned that feeling you were talking about when you started out, you got that kind of feeling, that rush. And that's, that's what I try to explain to people that, that actually for me, when I first step on stage and we're just talking about dive bars for open mics, I get that little rush. It's, yeah. uh, oh, something good may happen or something really bad may happen but this is kind of cool. Whatever's going to happen. I can't imagine having to go after Chris rock, what that feeling would be like, you know, you just, <laughs> that, that kind of energy would probably like knock, knock some people out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I got lucky because I think it, um, the audience, I was going last and he went on right before me to drop into work on the SNL monologue. And, um, and so, uh, I think it made, it put people in such a good mood that like, it was actually a pretty fun set. Whereas, um, I've done a lot of shows that were really tough in New York. The tougher ones are usually more like, you know, like I talk about on my album, like doing a show in a library for like one yeah. person or like yeah, doing all kinds of weird venues. Um, so, and that was like all before the pandemic too. So before we were all doing these weird park shows and stuff. I, um, so, speaking yeah. of that, the, the hell gigs, have you ever had anything that's made you reevaluate your commitment to stand up comedy? <laughs> Um, yeah, of course, all the time. I've thought about quitting many times. Uh, one of my first feature, like my first ever feature gig years ago in Chicago, I think I, um, I was like in this restaurant with like barely anyone there, like maybe two or three people or six or I don't know. Yeah. Was, there was probably like four people sitting at tables separately eating. And then I was supposed to do a comedy show and I was kind of struggling. And then, um, I did, I, you know, I did my best. And then the owner, like, not only did he want to like not pay me after the show, but he was like also adamant that I should quit comedy. And he's like, well, there's so many other things you can be doing. Like you're a good looking guy. I'm like, well, ah. I haven't had anyone tell me that. So I appreciate that. But, uh, and then, I mean, I got fired from like, um, several, I, I think I, I talked about that on the album, actually, like I got fired from emceeing like, seven minutes into a show when I was supposed to host there for like, I was supposed to host all the comedy shows there for like a Thursday through Saturday. Oh no. Like seven minutes into my first set, they replaced me with someone else and had another 
comedian go up after the first comedian I introduced and like host the rest of the show. Holy and, shit. Um, yeah, I think on the album, I talk about how it, like I, I did eventually go back and headline in there and the owner was like, I thought it was so cool that like, even though you got fired, you wanted to stick around and study comedy because you wanted to get better. And I was like, no, I had to stay because the other comedian was my ride home. But uh, but yeah, I had, I had I mean, I've had like too many to count of those like uh, brutal experience. I actually did. I remember one show. I don't think I've really talked about this anywhere, but I did a show that was like a bar mitzvah where um I was just standing in the middle of this giant reception hall on like where the dance floor would be and like all the kids gathered around. So I was like telling jokes to kids. So I had to be super clean, but then the, all the adults were sitting like really far away. Uh, so like the jokes, like my jokes, I have clean jokes, but uh, for the most part, but they're also like not really for kids. So I was just like bombing yeah. for the kids, but then the adults were still there to scrutinize. And like the adults were the ones that would get the jokes, but they were too far away to like, yeah really give me like momentum of laughter and stuff so it was like this weird and like i think like 45 minutes and i was supposed to do maybe an hour and like the stepdad of the kid like came up to me and he's like hey like i thought you were going to be doing comedy and he wasn't like trying to roast Wait, me he was just like sincerely oh, couldn't tell that i was stepdad <laughs> a stepdad said that like I, I yeah i was like saying i was in fact the only people that were laughing were like i think the kids real dad and like his table um, but for some reason, like they, there seemed to be this whole, uh, divorced couple of parents of this kid that like had some kind of feud going on, oh. but, uh, but yeah, I've had that happen before where, um, that's, that's the worst when, uh, you do so bad, they can't even tell that you're doing comedy, but, uh, yeah, but I was telling jokes and that just was not landing with the six year olds or all, whoever all the kids were not, there were all kinds of kids in line. Well, anytime a stepdad jumps in to defend the honor of his stepson. Um, yeah, you, you know, you're in for a rough time, but this is what I would say with comedy. I think comedy and alcohol go very well together. <laughs> so if you're, if you're a, dry, a total dry crowd anywhere you are, whether it's a library or bar mitzvah, of course, bar mitzvah, they're drinking, but the kids aren't drinking. Uh -huh. Well, so. I, I see what you're saying. I think that can go either way. Cause I've had a lot of actually fun shows for, um, people that weren't drinking. I actually just taped a comedy special, um, it's basically a clean version of the special I already released, but I, in uh, a, a, yeah, like a couple of months ago, I taped one called Dry Bar Comedy, and it's in Utah, so they yeah, don't say alcohol. But the audiences are great. Um, it was socially distanced and everything, and um, I was really happy with how it went. Uh, but um, and I've done, you know, I've done. I actually don't drink. I haven't been drinking in the last two and a half years, but. Um, but yeah, I've done shows for sober crowds. I've done shows where people aren't drinking. I've done a lot of college shows where people aren't drinking and it can be really fun. Um, but yeah, I love, I also love doing shows where, you know, it's comedy clubs and people are drinking. Um, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so I also, um, enjoy that. Um, but then at a certain point, if they're too drunk, then it's, that's when you might get like the super aggressive heckler once in a while. Or, oh yeah. <laughs> So I think there's like, yeah, as long as they're like having fun, maybe having a couple or, or a few drinks, that's definitely fine. Yeah. I, I'm, I've always wondered about clean comedy because I've been more or less, uh, what I would say, intimidated to do a room that says clean only. And the reason is, is because I always think I don't cuss a whole lot in my stuff, but I don't know if I, if I cross over into innuendo, cause sometimes there'll be a clean mic and you'll hear a guy and half of his set is innuendo, like sex type innuendo or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, you know what? He's not saying fuck, but 
there's so much stuff here that you have to be in a mindset of an, I guess, if you will, unclean mindset to understand what's going on. What's, what's your definition? How, how, what kind of advice would you give someone who says, if a comment said something like this, I don't do clean rooms. Would you tell them, uh, is there any kind of advice for that type of comic or? Um, Okay. Any advice for a comic that doesn't do clean room? First of all, um, I mean, I think that's actually helped me that people don't do clean rooms because that I get booked more in those places. So So you would say, say, if they don't want to do that, that, that's fine with me. But, but but I mean, I would say you can make a lot of money doing clean stuff. Like, um, like for instance, like my album, the audio version of my special was, um, released and, um, I have a version that's on Sirius XM that is like squeaky clean. So I basically, I, it was already pretty clean to begin with the hour, but I cut it down to like, I think about 40 minutes of like squeaky clean. And on there, the, the standards of clean are really high. Like you said, like oh. there's, in this case, you know, some, sometimes clean can include innuendo or, or certain topics, yeah. but in this case, it's like, no, you know, you can't say any questionable, like anything close to a swear word or any, um, anything like an innuendo or even a lot of different specific topics. So I, I cut out a ton of stuff for that, but at the same time, um, the clean channel on Sirius XM has such, so many like fewer tracks because there are so few comedians doing that compared to like, you know, like uh, explicit content or anything that includes any of those topics. Yeah. So it's like, you can get more, a lot more airtime that way. And you also, you can get paid every time they air it. So it's like, that's just one example, but then, um, you know, a lot, I do a lot of college gigs and some of those like want you to be clean if it's like a religious school or whatever the factor is. And so I like that I'm able to do like an hour of like really clean material if I need to. Um, it's, you know, I would prefer to be able to talk about whatever, um, although I don't get like super dirty anyway, but I have jokes about sex or like certain topics that like might be off limits at some places. So it's like, um, yeah. So for me, it's like, I love all kinds of comedy. I've done like a lot of roasts on, you know, roast battles and then stuff in, on Wild Not where it gets like kind of dirty and like we yeah. get super graphic. But at, but at the same time, like I, I also love the, I like the challenge of like being like, oh, this is like a corporate gig or a college or like a church show. And um, I mean, which can pay well, which is nice. But at the same time, like, I just like the challenge of like, making those people laugh. Cause I want to be able to like be funny in as many ways as possible while still, you know, being true to myself. And like, for me, it's like, I can do that without, I don't, I don't feel like I'm selling myself out or anything. Cause I, there's a lot of clean stuff that is yeah. genuinely funny to me, but I think I just have like kind of a wide range of tastes in comedy. So it's like, you know, I love a clever dirty joke, but I love also like a clever clean joke or some, you know, and yeah. you can like, you know, like Brian Vegan, I just watched his special. It was super, oh, funny. I love that you know, super clean and yet like, you know, super funny, very like highly original and everything. Obviously everyone knows that about him, but, but yeah, so it's like, I think it's, it's amazing when people can do both, but, um, but yeah, I like, I like that challenge for sure. I like, um, you know, doing as many types of things as possible, whether it's like improvising a roast rap battle on wild now, or just doing a squeaky clean, one-liner jokes for whoever wants that. I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Brian Regan also. And what I notice about him, you could almost turn the audio off 
and the way he's just like moving his face and moving around and like and doing things he's so he's yeah. i feel like the way i describe his comedy to people is you kind of it feels like you're watching a cartoon yeah exactly like one of the faces he made on that special is making me laugh out loud so and i don't laugh a lot when i watch comedy even if it's good i'm like i i'm usually just like oh that's a funny joke that i see what they did there or whatever yeah but but I was just laughing out loud. Just like, yeah, like you said, his delivery and like the facial expressions and the character voices. It's like, yeah, the material is already funny. But then when he throws that in, it's like sandwich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so goofy. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. It's so good. What what is some of the best advice you've received from comics throughout the years? Uh, the best advice I got was um, usually like just to write a lot and get on stage a lot. And um, I feel like that's all you need. Like if you um, if you just like get on stage a lot and write a lot, um, that'll help, uh, you know, just you're just going to like get more and more jokes that work and figure out how to write better jokes over time and just get more comfortable performing. Um, but I think other things that help are like um you know being around like being connected to the comedy scene you're in or like um you know making friends with other comedians like being around other comedians i think that like you can raise each other's game that way yeah and um that's something i wish i'd done more well of course i didn't really have any other comedians to be around in college because i was in a small town in wisconsin but um but i was i was really shy starting out in comedy and i wish i had like you know maybe been more social that's something i do a lot more of now now i i used to be intimidated i think to like hang out at comedy clubs or that kind of thing. But at the same time, um, yeah, now I've like really come to enjoy it. And so it's like one of my, that's one of the things I've missed most of the quarantine is just like, you know, performing at a comedy club or even just like hanging out at one and like joking around with the comedians after the show and that kind of thing. So I think that that always like helps um, just in terms of you can help each other, like either find gigs and stuff and, and help each other's like, joke writing like give each other tags or whatever and just um and just being around those people like funny people i think makes you funnier and that kind of thing so um so i think that helps but yeah just writing a lot and getting on stage a lot and you know there's like being okay with a lot of trial and error and i think that really pays off over time um because yeah because it's like you know i've been struggling for a long time as a comedian. i still feel like i'm struggling at times but it's like uh yeah, it's one of those things where if you just keep doing it, like it's gonna, you know, hopefully I think good things will happen. If kind of like Conan's at the end of his tonight show, right? He's like, if if you're kind and you work hard, then amazing things will happen. I think that's true. So um I haven't done I haven't worked that hard or been that kind, so I don't know. But uh <laughs> I think that theoretically I think that would work out if someone does that. So I guess it's your belief that here's something I've been wrestling with. When I when I started comedy, what I I had two uh, um, questions, right? My first question was, can anyone be funny? And obviously since it's me starting, I I'm wondering, can I be funny? And then number two is, can anything be funny? Uh, so I, I think you kind of already answered the question, but can, can you tell me your opinion? Do you think anyone could be funny given think, time and focus? Oh, do I think anyone can be funny? Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it might. Some people probably start out with more natural funniness, or maybe they just like had more of a funny skill set they built up before doing comedy. 
Certainly. But at the same time, um, yeah, I do think you can definitely, I think anyone can get funnier than they currently are by working at it. Like, I mean, I think I've gotten way funnier than I was like when I started or whatever. Uh, hopefully, I mean, not that I don't even know if I'm that funny now, but compared to where I started, I think it's right. improved certainly. And that's kind of all you can do is like compare yourself to yourself in the past. Cause like, you know, there's always going to be people doing better or worse than you, but as long as you're kind of like trying to improve yourself, I feel like that's the way to go. And so for me, it's like, um, yeah, based on where I started, I feel like super, um, super happy that I'm in a, a much, uh, you know, yeah. better place now where I feel like I have a wider range of like ways to be funny and that kind of thing. So have um, you ever looked at some of your original standup? Yeah, I think I've seen, I don't, honestly, I don't really have, that much documentation of it. Cause I wasn't really like recording. I wish I had recorded like my first set or something. And I've been trying to track down other early videos, but it's like, I just wasn't like recording it much. Like I do, like now I record every set, but I didn't start doing that until a couple or a few years ago. And so it's like, uh, I wish I had more of that to look back on. Um, I'm sure I'd be really embarrassed, but, um, you know, I think I had a lot of bad habits then of like, mumbling or just ah. having you know, not knowing where what to do with my hands or just yeah. uh, not really like trailing off at the end of jokes and the jokes themselves i'm sure i wouldn't be that proud of but but uh but yeah it's all a part of the process i think you can like get better at that stuff over time um if you figure out specific habits to work on and change and uh yeah and i love that kind of stuff like i was reading this book atomic habits about how you know, just making these small changes, you can like really change your life over time because those adjustments like pay off uh, over time. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think, I don't know if I answered the question, but. Uh, well, I yeah, like, I, so my hunch is, so this is, it's interesting you brought up uh, Conan O'Brien's final speech because I really liked his, whatever that was, his last speech about don't be cynical and whatever. There were yeah. some other things in there that yeah, I and I think more people uh, in entertainment need to be, because I think we're in this mindset collectively as society where we like shitting on things. We're shitting on each other all the time. And yeah. but sometimes just, it's good to just be happy and supportive of, and, and stay positive for what you got to do. But um, you brought up so many things there. So you answered my question. And I, I, so my belief is I'm at an age where I look back at anything I've done and I said, well, I don't know that I'm good at anything, but I've, I've been able to become proficient enough to be able to do things, uh, just, you know, career, whatever hobbies, this, that, and the other. And, and what I think it all boils down to is you got to stay focused and put the time in on things. And I'm hoping finger like you, I'm hoping that those two principles also apply to being funny on stage, hopefully. So you answer my question. But you, you said something about uh, Atomic Habits. So I was watching you on a Zoom show the other day and you pulled out a book. And at first I thought this was part of a bit. And the name of the book is The 50th Law. Oh yeah, I got it right here. Okay, <laughs> it, beautiful. There we go. Shot out right there. 50th Law, another promo along with Meetup and 50th Law. Those are the two sponsors. I'm promoting this, but I'm not involved in this book at all. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a really big fan of it. Okay, so what I wanted to ask you is, well, let me intro my question with a little bit about me. Sure. I, 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 I love reading and I've read a lot of books, but I went through a patch in my life where, God, I want to say it was like three years. 
of just hammering. So you started talking about this 50th law and I was like, he's, he's bullshitting us right now. What is this? And then as you were telling your, as you were setting it up, I was Googling, I go, holy shit, this is a book. Oh, you thought it wasn't a real book. Yeah, I didn't think so. And then, even, and then when, I realized, even when I held it up, was, it that, was I holding well, it up? No, because I couldn't see. I might have had you on gallery view or something. I saw okay. 50th. And so I go, okay, that's a book. But then you started saying 50 cent and this and that. I go, no, this doesn't sound right. And But then I, I Googled it. I did my research in it. And it falls under kind of the self-help uh, life wisdom book. So anyway, about me, I went through a patch where I was addicted to self-help books. So much so that part of my act, I used to say, I, I, I'm reading so many self-help books. I need to find the self-help book that will help my addiction to self-help books, right? So I, I'm wondering, is that, how do you like that book so far? Has it had some good, because I literally was thinking of either checking it out or buying it once you said that, but I wanted, I knew I was podcasting with you. So I wanted to get your opinion of it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I do, uh, yeah, I, I do like the book. Um, so, uh, I might do part of the bit here, but I, but I, um, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't planning to do the bit, but, but yeah. Oh, no, so don't I, do the bit. just what's like, what's your, Oh, you just want to know it. You yeah. Want me to what's your thoughts on it? Like, do you, do you uh, like it? What's some takeaways? Well, okay. So it's called the 50th law. Um, the bit I'm working on is basically like, it, you know, it's by 50 cent and Robert green, my two favorite authors. And, uh, although like, I'm starting to think Robert Greene did some of the heavy lifting on this one, but who knows, maybe they split the work 50, 50, but, uh, anyway, uh, but no, it, 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 that's the bit, but I really am enjoying it. Um, it's basically, um, I have read a lot of Robert Greene's books. Um, like I read, actually I have some of them here. Like I read the 48 laws of power and the I, read that. Russian. I didn't read the, um, I read the power. Yeah. In case anyone ever was wondering why I seem so powerful and seductive. Um, that's why probably. But uh, no, but I really read those books and I enjoy them a lot. I, I got a lot out of them. I read other books by him. Like um, I have, I'm looking at my shelf. It's like the, the 33 strategies of war and mastery and the laws of human nature. Okay. Uh, so this is like my, the sixth book by him that I've read, okay. but, um, but they're all like amazing. Like they're, they're so good. Um, they basically like they're self-help books, but they also like, um, tell you all these like historical stories, but the way they tell them is in like such a relatable way where it's like, I mean, it feels as entertaining as watching, you know, like a good Netflix show or something where it's like, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of like action you know, it's like, there's like war scenes or seduction scenes from history, like all kinds of like crazy, like, you know, like strategies are just like crazy duels and stuff. So you're basically like learning about history. You're learning about like Queen Elizabeth the first and how she like, you know, caught this other person's armada on fire and like all this crazy oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, but then at the same time, like at the end of this chapter, he'll be like, oh, this is how you can apply this to your life. And so it's kind of like helps you in practical ways, but you're also like getting entertained with these like true stories and you're learning about history. So it's kind of like strong metaphors. Yeah, it's like entertaining, but also helpful, but also like really informative. Um, so I just love that guy's books. I would recommend all of them for sure. The okay. Laws of Human Nature is great. Like one of the chapters in that is just talking about like how this guy was shipwrecked and he just had to like basically like up his empathy to his crew to get them to survive. So he was just constantly like tuning in with everyone and like figuring out like 
what they needed to feel important or whatever to just, you know, personally uh-huh. each person in order to keep them motivated to eventually save them and everything. And so it was a lot of like, just, you know, like social skill stuff. Um, and it was just all about like learning how to be more empathetic was kind of the lesson from that chapter, but, but there's all kinds of stuff in there, um, that I think has helped me in my everyday life, but also just is like fun to know about historically and fun to like be entertained about, you know, the fact that it's true is pretty amazing as well. So, so, um, like hearing about like John Rockefeller and like his crazy, like, um, rise to power in the oil business or like stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of stuff throughout history. So I, yeah, I would highly recommend those books for anyone because okay. like, it's like so informative, but also just helps you practically in your life and is entertaining at the same time. Nice. All right. I'll check it out. So you're a physical book guy. You don't do much eBooks or do you do both? Uh, no, I've done both. I actually, I have a copy of these, but I also, I think I've listened to two or three of his books on audible, like on audio form as well. Um, so I do, I do both. I read, uh, I'm reading Don Quixote right now. really enjoying that. Um, almost to the end, I think I've been reading it really slowly for a long time, but, uh, but I'll, like, I'll read a little bit of that before, but I heard it's good to read like fiction right before bed, because then like, if you read nonfiction right before you go to sleep, then you might stay awake, like still like applying it to your life. Oh. But I read, I try to read a little nonfiction during the day and then a little fiction at night. And I do jump around a lot. I'm reading, you know, the art of dramatic writing right now too, and a book about poker. And then, um, cause I've been playing some poker and then just kind of a mix of things. But, uh, but yeah, on my, actually on my live stream, I've been reading a little bit from, uh, this 50th law book, um, check it out. my stream as like kind of a bedtime story, but, um, but yeah, so I, I just, you know, I think I, I used to love reading when I was a kid, when I was doing it for fun. And then I think by the time I got to like middle school, high school and college, it was like, it kind of felt like a chore because you had to do so much reading and sometimes stuff you didn't want to do that I think I got burnt out and then I wasn't reading as much, but then the last few years, um, I realized like there's so much like really good stuff out there. And it's actually like really fun to read when it's like, you know, about what you're interested in. Cause anything that most people are interested in, there's like probably a good book about it, or there's probably like an amazing, like yeah novel yeah. that's hold up, held up over centuries that is like worth checking out if you like give it a chance. So, yeah. Um, so I'm like into that. And, um, it, ironically, I think school actually, you know, made me less into reading by the time I was done with it. But, uh, but like now that I'm just doing it, I slowly dip back into it for fun. I'm like, Oh, this is great. When it's like, um, yeah, you know, I love, I love reading when there's reading. no book report due. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I, the book report equivalent is just me talking about it now or to friends, which is like fun. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Uh, I actually had another podcast with a buddy of mine uh, where, cause we were, we would go out and <clears throat> we would go drinking at least like once a week. And we, uh, we just shoot the shit about whatever, but we always ended up talking about these books we were reading. And then, um, so we started a podcast, two books and a beer, but we, we ended that podcast a while ago, but it was mostly around sci-fi. I, I really like sci-fi stuff too. Um, but you, the, um, I just, I mentioned this book a lot. Uh, so I just thought I'd throw it out here. I, I've read so many self-help books. I forget all the titles that I've read and I forget most of the lessons in them. But the one book that I really, I've read actually multiple times is by a guy named Stephen Pressfield and it's called The War of Art. Yeah, I read that recently. It's great. Yeah, 
That that's the one where I think because he's very pragmatic about the approach and he's not um, he's not trying to he's basically just setting out the reality that look every minute of every day the resistance is going to tell you to relax but you can't relax you have to keep doing things which is um, you know anyone who wants to create anything that's an important lesson but especially when you're doing something like stand-up comedy where you're just going and you're failing and you're failing and you're failing and you're failing. You got to keep doing it. Got to keep doing it. Hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. Cool. So, Hey man, speaking of keep doing it, we're coming up on the hour here. How are you on? Can we keep going for like five more minutes? Oh yeah. I know. I'm, I'm happy to go as long as you want. And, um, yeah, I, and I, I totally agree. That book is amazing. It's like, if anyone hasn't read, the war of art it's like a quick read and it's very practical even though even the first couple of pages were so helpful it was like like you said it's basically like all he, he kind of breaks it down as like you know everyone has resistance every day that's normal so you just you just have to like just get used to that and just you know be like all right there's a resistance i'll deal with that and then i'll do my work and another book in that vein um speaking of the war of art is the artist way i read that a couple of times and I think that was super helpful. Oh, I've read that. You know what? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Because yeah. as a writer, that's a super important book because yeah. if you walk away from the artist's way with only one habit. And that habit is your morning journal. I don't know if you do that still after having. Yes. Uh, someone's saying in the comments, Art of War. Art of War is a different book. That's about actual war. That's Sun Tzu. They quote it in Robert Greene's book, The 33 Strategies of War. We're talking about war of art, which is about art. making yeah. art, not making war. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a wordplay title anyway. Yeah. Word um, but yeah. So like you said, yeah, the morning pages, I, I got that out of it where I, I still do that every day. I write three pages in the morning and it's so helpful. The times I haven't done it, I think it really like really hurt me in a lot of ways um, and just made me less pleasant to be around. But by doing that, yeah, I get out like all night. I, you know, I talk about stuff I'm grateful for or people I resent and it's good to just clear my head and like at yeah. least get it out of the way. And then I can just like focus on, you know, getting other stuff done throughout the yes. day. Um, I also and then, look- yeah. And the artist date as well as like doing something for fun with yourself each oh, week. I I just, yeah. That's so important. Cause you know, I used to be so hard on myself and I'm realizing now like, self-compassion is so important and and actually the more you do like you the more you treat yourself well it actually like i think leads to more happiness and success so it's ironically like you think beating yourself up a lot of people think that's making them stronger but it's just holding them back in a way that they don't have to do so yeah um, yeah. i think it's so important to learn how to be nicer to yourself and it pays off for sure yeah definitely you got to have that kind of reflective and put things into perspective The other thing that I like the morning pages for, and uh, actually this, this is a good, I wanted to get your take on it is um, the the way she describes it. I'm forgetting all the details, but uh, the way she describes it is never, there's no editor involved. It's whatever's in your mind. And then you write down. And so what I look at is I'm just writing. And a lot of times when your hand is moving, it's the way we're, we're raised in our school system, right? Because they say, well, they come back and they say, oh, this, whatever, your punctuation wrong, your spelling wrong, this is wrong. And, and then you go back and you fix it. And so we start thinking like, oh, I need to stop. Does this sentence make sense? But what she's advocating for is keep your hand moving for the full time that you're doing your morning, morning pages. Mm-hmm. And so how I look at this is it's like, 
there's this conduit of creativity in our brain that somehow comes out. And sometimes it comes out when we want it to come out, right? Like if we go to work and we need to solve a problem, it's like, oh, Bing, I have a solution and it's right there. But sometimes the solution isn't there. And I think the point of the exercise is to say, you need to learn to attach your hand to whatever that thing is that just keeps flowing out of your brain, that creativity. And so you keep going. And what I'm telling myself, number one, like what you said with the journaling on the different things that are happening in your life, I think that's all good as far as mental health. And most people would tell you that you want to reflect on what's happening that's good in your life. And you want to contemplate on things that you're feeling negative about to try and work out. But ultimately, you're trying to get to this point where your brain can just have an outlet, right? And your outlet is your hand or typing if you're doing it on typing, but I just write it. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to ask you, that was a long-winded way of saying Do you think an exercise like that can also help with your speaking? Because we're in the game as podcasters, as performers, as stage guys, we're in the game of, okay, my mind needs to go and I need to find a solution to make these guys laugh really quick. Do you think the two can correlate or is it totally exercises? Yeah, I think it definitely correlates. When you were saying, talking about writing by hand, someone is roasting me again saying Jacob is very familiar with his hand, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, why do you live stream? I want to know Jacob, why do you live stream? <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought, it, I thought everyone, I thought it'd be good. Cause I thought people would be supportive in the comments, but, uh, sometimes oh. they just roast me. Oh, well, this particular person does, but, uh, yeah. but anyway, um, I, uh, no, I think, um, yeah, I think it's, sorry. Now I forgot the actual question. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, um, it has to do with, brain hand connection but i think there's a brain mouth connection when you're trying to be quick on stage absolutely yeah no totally like i i think my like second season a while now i i wasn't doing the morning pages for some reason i had done them my first season and then the second one i was i think i was like um just started taking things for granted i was like oh i don't need to do that because i'm because i think maybe things were doing going better at the time but then which was probably a lot, uh, largely because I was doing more of it. So I stopped doing that. And I think it put me in a, like a really bad place where I wasn't performing as well comedy wise. And I wasn't like, you know, I was like getting held back in my head. I was like two in my head and like worrying, you know, worrying about how do you stuff. So I think um, ever since then I realized like, Oh, it's so important. Cause yeah, I think it, it makes everything flow better. Like you said, like whether you're talking on stage or off stage, like, it just clears my head in a way where it's like, oh, I got all that out of my system. Like I write down anything I'm afraid of, angry about, et cetera. And like, once I've addressed it, it's like, yeah, it's still there, but I, I at least like, I think naming it like takes away a lot of the power of, that it has over you. Mm. If there's something that's upsetting you and, or at least like, you know what you have, you have to do to tackle it or you can set it aside and, um, you know, deal with what you have to get done. Kind of like what you said, I think it's a good way to get, like it goes hand in hand with the other book because it's like a good way to get past resistance is like doing the morning pages. Cause you at least know the things that are making you resist if you're, you know, upset at someone or guilty about something or whatever it is. So once you have that taken care of, you can either like, you know, move on with your day to like address that stuff or just know, know that that's what's going on and then just focus on getting the work done that you want to do, you know? or just having fun or whatever it is you're doing that day. So, um, so yeah, I think it's like helpful across the board with, you know, it helps to clear the system before you're writing something, but also before you even have a social interaction or a, you know, a performance on stage or a conversation or a podcast, like I think it's so helpful. And, um, 
yeah, now I always try to do it before I have, you know, any kind of human contact or anything, but yeah, basically like shortly after I wake up just cause no. I, you know, I know like the cost it's had on me by not doing it. And so I would definitely recommend it to everyone. Um, and, uh, I know, so, you know, I'm sure some people will probably have resistance to trying it, but it's like, um, but it's like, you know, I think it really does pay off if you, if it's, it's worth giving it a shot and maybe trying it for a few days or a month and yeah. seeing how it makes you feel. And I would say it's worth doing every day. I would, what I would do is I would tell people, um, the war of art, the war of art, not the art of war, the war of art. Uh, that book is a must read if you're a creator. And then the artist way, I highly recommend the artist way can get a little new agey at times where I, I think I followed it to her. I followed her prescription, her protocol while I read the book, but I let a lot of it go. Um, yeah, me too. I read it twice, once by myself and once with a group, but I've never done every single exercise, but yeah, I would say I would recommend the book, but I would also say like, even if you just read the first couple of chapters and all you do is the morning pages and artist yeah. day, that'll like change your life in a, a big way, in a good way. So I think so. Yeah. I think so. So we, you were talking, um, about the kind of, you, you have a lot of self-deprecating humor and uh, <laughs> you have a joke yeah. in, in your, your special. And I, I don't remember it word for word, but, but the punch is this, and you'll, you'll know what it is, obviously, you'll know what, but the punch is this, I'm sorry I offended me. Right? Where you go. Yeah, says, I think hey. that joke is, is actually addressing that I do have a lot of self-deprecating. Because yes. I'm talking about, I, on the special, I actually do a Q&A. I do a real Q&A with the audience where I didn't know what they were going to ask, but they asked me questions. I think the live version, so how I actually did the Q&A, this is just for... I don't even know who cares about this, but yeah. but if anyone has seen the special, which you have, so I'll I tell care, you. I care, Jacob. I care. That's I all appreciate you watching it. So I'll, I'll explain uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, or if they if they have seen it, it's basically like um, an hour of comedy. But um, there's like a couple of minutes in there of me answering questions from the audience. But basically, what I did was I I did pretty much just like stand up material the whole time, and then um after that i think the host went back up and he was talking to the audience while they were paying checks and then i went back out for another like 15 minutes or more and did like that's when i was like hey like uh, i'd like to do a q a just for fun you guys are a Mm -hmm. great audience you know and so i just had people ask me questions and i think it was about like 13 minutes of questions that um i answered and it was really fun like i put the full thing on my patreon if anyone wants to check out the extended version but I basically just took like the funniest three questions or the the three questions I like came up with the funniest answer in the moment for it. Cause it was like, I was just answering them in the moment, but okay. it was like, um, and put those in there. And so I was really happy with how some of those came out because, so, um, okay. oh yeah, but sorry. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So the, then it was, but the, I basically have a joke in there also about how like I did a Q and a once and someone, I think I make fun of myself too much cause someone's question was just, are you okay? <laughs> And, and she's like, you shouldn't make fun of yourself. I'm like, I'm sorry if I offended me, but, um, so anyway, that's like my long, yeah, yeah. long story of what you were so, talking about. I, I guess, I guess my question for that would be obviously the, the majority of the subject of your humor revolves around you, but we live in a, a very sensitive age where a lot of people, uh, a lot of people I think are more sensitive than they need to be about jokes. But on top of that, there are people who are outright looking to 
get people, I don't know what their trade, it's cancel culture, right? That people are actually going after people. As a comedian, uh-huh. as a professional comedian, do you ever think about saying the wrong thing in the wrong yeah. way and what the repercussions could be? Uh, yeah, I think about that all the time because that is a big thing. And uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, it's pretty complicated how I feel about it because, um, I mean, I've certainly had people get offended by stuff I say. Um, I think in my case, it's kind of always a little surprising to me because, like I said, I, I yeah. do have like a lot of like squeaky clean jokes. But I guess, you know, I like some all kinds of jokes. So sometimes I like jokes that are very much dark humor, dirty yeah. jokes. But but like, uh, but like, I did, I think I tweeted once a joke where I said like, um, I, you know, I saw this movie called Split, which is about a guy with 24 personalities. And I'm really jealous because I don't even have one. And um, Good joke. I, I saw that as like a harmless joke making fun of myself, but if someone tweeted back and they're like, oh, well, I have dissociative identity disorder. And if you knew that, or if you had experienced that, you wouldn't be joking about this. And I was like, okay, I mean, um, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I, I like, I don't know what to say. I was trying to make fun of myself. Maybe I missed the mark. I don't know. I think I still think it's funny. And the target was me, but like, I definitely certainly wasn't attempting to make fun of people that have a real disorder like that. Um, but, uh, but, but I do think, but yeah, so it's possible for, uh, you know, my stuff can offend people. Um, and at the same and uh, I don't know, but, but yeah. And, and there are things where it's like, I def, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to like censor other comedians, but like for myself, I try to not do too much. Like I try to not, I used to have more stuff that probably was like punching down where I try to kind of avoid that. Like, I don't like to make fun of things that are like out of people's control too much or like, um, you know, or like doing jokes that are basically like mocking people. Um, yeah. You know, that are like already in a, you know, oppressed or something. Yeah. So that's just like my personal line, but it's like, I'm, I'm not going to like tell any other comedian what they can say. And I, I, you know, I love watching like super edgy comedians and stuff. And that's like some of the funniest stuff I've seen. But, um, but I think there's, there is like, you know, the people that can pull that off, they are kind of like figuring it out within like, you know, they're maybe dancing around the line, but it's like, there is a line somewhere and um, yeah. I don't know. So it's like tricky. I mean, uh, that's always constantly changing too. It's like, you know, stuff that's offensive now um, we're, you know, we're constantly learning new things. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's like, I never intend to offend anyone and I usually don't for the most part in my case, cause I play it pretty safe. Right. And I, I do make fun of myself a lot, which should theoretically be the safest target. Yeah. But yeah, like I guess that was an example. Like even when I think I'm making fun of myself, it's like someone could still, you know, it's like almost impossible to never offend anyone, I guess, to some degree. Um, and I, but I, yeah, and I'm not really into like people that are saying like, it's not, it's pretty rare, but the, you know, there's some comedians that will like, where it's almost like they're just trying to offend people. Like if they can do it in a funny way, that's cool. But like when it's just saying something uh, hurtful or hateful. Yeah without even a joke or without taking into account any kind of like empathy or irony. It's like, you know? Yeah. I think so me just thinking about this, I've always liked humor and I've always liked dark humor and the concept of the public having sway over a creator's, um, I guess outlet 
that's a new thing, right? So I think in the past, like let's say the seventies and eighties, I, I know if something happened, let's say, let's just use a random example. Let's say there's a skit in 1988 that yeah. put out on SNL and okay. it targets a certain, there was all kinds of groups that, you know, were actually not necessarily the butt of the joke, but were characters that might be considered offensive nowadays, right? Sure. And I'm sure they got hate mail. I'm sure that these shows got hate mails prior to tweeting, but now it feels that uh, there's such a, um, I, I guess a, a mob of, of people out there and they're not all people, a lot of them are bots, right? So we don't even know who's real and who isn't real anymore. But it feels like the ability for the mob to uh, kind of weigh in and be judge, juror, and executioner, it, it, it strikes mm -hmm. me as unhealthy in a way. But I also, yeah, I'm with sure. you because I like to, I would like to think that comedy should come with empathy. And so there are mean comics out there. They're just mean sons of bitches, right? And they go out yeah. there. And, and they go out there knowing that they're mean and they're no, and they also know that they're going to intimidate people with their style of humor. And so for the most part, they're not going to be touched, but I think that's a situation where a public opinion kind of canceling out a person and their style of comedy, when their comedy is kind of, you're a psychopath <laughs> like that, that I get. But then I think a lot of times people go out thinking this person's a psychopath, but then you said something about irony. I think humor, I think our ability to interpret irony is it's very out of whack right now um, to the point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think it's so complicated because it's like, uh, you know, just so that can pull off these really dark jokes, obviously, which I think are great. And uh, Don Rickles would say probably the most offensive. Oh, yeah. yeah. But somehow, like, maybe the way he was saying it, you could tell yeah. his intention. Like, yeah was good somehow, even though it, on paper, you'd be like, wow, this is, this is so messed up. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the line is or what's, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, we're all learning, I guess. And it's like, it is scary as a comedian to think like, oh, if I say something wrong, maybe, you know, it's like, yeah, I could get in a lot of trouble, but, but at the same time, I think it is important to like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm like too swayed by that more than like just by my own, like, you know, just as a good person, it's like, I think it's just important to like, even if there's not a mom coming after you to just like have some empathy for like yep. people, whether it's the trans community or whatever it is, like, you know, there's certain things like that, like you don't want, you know, like you, I think you can talk about a wide range of topics, but it's like, you don't want to be, have the target of the joke be someone that's like, already like yeah you know in a tough situation so that's just my opinion but uh you know some people can pull it off and you can certainly talk about really you know controversial subjects in like such a funny way and and everything but uh but yeah anyway. yeah cool man well hey this has been this has been a real pleasure jacob i appreciate you doing the podcast and uh i look i'm I'm sorry your your guys were roasting you over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for letting me uh live stream while I'm doing the podcast. Yeah. They well, said uh they said you have a great podcast voice. Oh. I, well, thank you. I like your audience. They're great. They're great. Wow. They're mean to me, but they they love you so. Yeah, good. just that's, keep that's making great. fun of that Jacob guy. But 
<laughs> no, I, I could take, I could take a shot here too. So man, it's been great having you. Um, so why don't we, I'm going to post up your Patreon page, uh, and obviously your Instagram. Is there any other things you want to, uh, shout out here while we're streaming? And then also we'll get the, uh, this out on the RSS feed here in a few days. Um, but oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. So my Instagram and Twitter and TikTok is MR Jacob Williams. Uh, you mentioned my Patreon. Yeah, that has a lot of great uh, bonus content. I shouldn't say it's great because it's my con- that's I'm biased, but uh, it's amazing. It has a lot of like I have bonus interviews and uh, with different things and a lot of extra stand up that wasn't on my special and then new topical stand up videos that are exclusive on there and stuff. But yeah, and then my comedy special on emotional roller coaster. It's free on YouTube. Um, and, uh, and then it's also, um, on all audio platforms. So like, um, nice. on, uh, on Spotify and iTunes and wherever people listen to Pandora and everything like that. Oh, and it's on, uh, Sirius XM too, if people catch it on there, but, but yeah, I think that's the main things. Um, I have merch on T public, um, if anyone wants like a mug with, my album cover work on it or anything or like masks or hoodies or whatever. Sweet. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I've, I try to post jokes and sketches on like Instagram and Twitter and things like that, but, and comedy clips, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I'm not involved in the 50th law, but check that out if you want, or check out Robert Green's other books. I don't know. Um, I'm going to check out the other app too, the, 